Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. It is June 21st when we're recording this. Summer starts today. It is the longest day of the year in terms of daylight. It's a great day all around. We're recording Chasing Perfection for the first time in longer than we expected. But Megan and I are both going on vacation next week. So we had to get one in before we headed off. I'm going to Cape Cod, which not that I'm not excited about that, but Megan's going to Ireland and I'm incredibly jealous of that fact. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit bigger of a trip. I'm very excited because this trip has been planned since like 2020 and it's finally happening. Yeah, I was going to go to uh, Ireland when I graduated college in 2020. (laughs) few things happened that prevented that just a couple (laughs) yeah you know some minor uh life obstacles no big deal but before then we got to catch everyone up on everything that's happened to the huskies in the last month we're not going to talk about all the stuff we've learned from summer workouts this episode we should be back on actually a relatively normal episode cadence between this one and the next one, because we'll be on vacation next week. And ideally we'll get one the week of the 4th of July, no promises, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about what we learned from summer workouts. Then let you read everything that we write about it before then. So let's get into the news. The schedule is coming together. UConn's since we've last recorded announced two games. And if you've actually been listening to us for a while, you know, that during the COVID season, We had a running joke that wasn't so much of a running joke as it was just pure fact that whenever we'd record a podcast, either right when the podcast ended, right when we finished recording, or the day we put the podcast out, without fail, UConn would announce some change to the schedule, and then our podcast would already be outdated. Well, that theme has continued. Last episode comes out the next day. UConn announces that it's going to play Florida State at Mohegan Sun, their annual Mohegan Sun game. December 18th, the Basketball Hall of Fame Women's Showcase. Iowa State-Villanova is the other game, and I'll be completely honest. Iowa State is infinitely more exciting as an opponent than Florida State. Florida State's just one of those meh opponents that they used to have a lot more frequently before they went to the 20-game Big E schedule. Past few years, it's been a little bit more of a high-end non-conference schedule, but there's nothing about Florida State that makes me feel like I should get remotely excited. Yeah, I feel like obviously UConn's the headliner of that tournament because it's at Mohegan, but the Iowa State-Villanova game is actually definitely the more intriguing matchup. Like That should be a really good game between an Iowa State team that returns a lot from last year was really solid, and then obviously Villanova, seen in the conference, they keep getting better. That game's going to be one to circle. UConn, Florida State, eh, it'll be a nice time to watch UConn after the first game. (laughs) Right. It's one of those games where, I don't know, maybe UConn, maybe it'll be enough of a challenge where it's not a total blowout like most of Big East play, but not quite the pound-for-pound heavyweight challenge. I don't know. I am trying to talk myself into reasons to get excited about this one. And I'm struggling to come up with them. And not that Iowa State's the greatest team in the world, but at least they have the Joneses. Well, just one Jones, one of them transferred. <laughs> yeah, but I thought one of the sis- the other sisters was coming. Oh, out. Did, maybe she is. I might have missed that. Yeah, I, yeah, there's too many Joneses. Too hard to keep up with them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like if you're a UConn fan and buying tickets for that game, you should definitely plan to get there for the first game because it's going to be the better matchup. Yeah, I mean, Florida State lost their head coach, Sue Semrau. She's replaced by Brooke Wyckoff, who ended up as their interim head coach during the 2020-21 season when the former head coach took a year-long leave of absence to care for her sick mom. They were an 11 seed, went 17 and 14, lost in the first four to Missouri, who from all accounts was just a completely dysfunctional team. So the fact that you lost to them in the NCAA tournament, I don't know, like, sure, it's a game. Maybe this is all you could get at Mohegan Sun. I'm just not excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other it's one. Letdown. <laughs> yeah. The other one is a much more exciting matchup in terms of names. And I think we'll have a much better idea of what the caliber of the opponent's going to be when the game comes around. UConn's going to head to Maryland college park specifically on December 11th. It's going to be a home and home series that was originally supposed to start during the COVID season. Got pushed back. Maryland will come to UConn next season, not this upcoming season, but the year after that. UConn's won all seven meetings. Maryland has had uh, most of its roster, most of the notable players on its roster transfer out, but it's also been a heavy player in the transfer market, bringing players in. So lots of moving pieces. Obviously, Brenda Freeze is a pretty good track record as a coach, but I think the level of, I think Brenda Freeze makes it so that there's at least a floor for how bad Maryland can be, but how much this team can challenge you kind of, I think it's just going to be determined by how these pieces all come together. Yeah. I mean, I think Maryland's done a decent job with what they've added back in the transfer portal. They got Abby Myers out of um, Princeton. Who's really good as Leverner Briggs from Florida, Florida, but I feel like they haven't really replaced what they lost. I think the names that they lost are bigger than what's coming in. So I think they're going to take a little bit of a drop off from last season, but should still be probably a team that's going to hover around the bottom of the top 25, a, a decent opponent for UConn. Yeah. And college park is always a pretty tough place to play. I remember the game, the 2016, 17 season, Katie Lou Samuelson was throwing up in the sideline with a stomach bug. UConn had to fight that entire game to pull out the win. Just a really impressive performance. I think that's the last time they played at College Park, right? Because then Maryland came to UConn the next year and they haven't played since. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah, they were supposed to, if the seeds held, they were going to play in the Elite Eight of the 2017 tournament for all the hot air that was brought up about Oh, NC State has to play a road game at Bridgeport. I don't think a ton of that necessarily came from NC State. I think that was much more their fan base and maybe just more casual viewers. If I'm remembering right, Maryland was actively complaining about having to come to Bridgeport and then successfully got knocked out in the Sweet 16 to then freshman Sabrina Ionescu's Oregon team. Never even faced UConn in Bridgeport. So I just love that comparison between nc state and them five years ago yeah <laughs> at least nc state would have made it there if they were complaining yeah although <laughs> was close yeah. it was very close <laughs> very true <laughs> not a bad thing though because how can you not 
I mean, I guess if you're an NC State game, you can be upset with how that game happened. But from a neutral perspective, that was just a phenomenal game in the Elite Eight that I wouldn't want the world to have been robbed of. Yeah, agreed. So looking at the rest of the Huskies schedule, they have one slot that has not been announced. Gino Ariama let it slip that it's going to be Texas, which is kind of what we're expecting. I believe it should be a home game. That's, I think, how this, it was another one of those series I was going to start during the COVID year. I believe the home game would have been the first one. There's really only two options for who UConn's going to play for the season opener. It's either going to be Texas or it's going to be NC State because if you pretty much put the remaining games where they normally are, Notre Dame is almost exclusively the first, not almost exclusively, since Notre Dame left the Big East, it's always been the first eight days of December. I don't see that changing. Then all three of the Tennessee games since the revival have been in January. And every South Carolina matchup during the regular season, aside from the battle for Atlantis, which was, you know, in its own tournament, have been in February. So NC State and Texas are the only two non-conference games that can be really in November at all, along with the PK-85 tournament, the two games there. So it's going to be one of NC State or Texas. I don't know which one it'll be, but that's pretty much your schedule. You can't put exactly where the games are going to be, but you can get a pretty good idea of where they'll be. Yeah, I would like guess that it would be NC State. Texas would be a really tough opponent to start off as your your first game of the season. I think they're going to be very good next year, so that would definitely be a very interesting first game. Um, NC State, they've lost a lot. I don't think that's going to be as tough of a game. But in terms of, I mean, like a non-conference schedule, I think with that, UConn's shaping up to play probably three teams that are going to fall within like top, top five, top six of the country, I would say, between Tennessee South Carolina, Texas. I think those Tennessee and Texas are going to be very good next year. Yeah, it's a pretty strong non-conference schedule overall. I mean, you look at PK 85, you've got Iowa and then at least Duke and Oregon State are exciting. I think Oregon State could be a decent team next year. I'm not very high on Duke and their potential after the way they just completely collapsed this year. Then I think you only have those two South Carolina, Tennessee games in the second half. Oh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, I think will be a decent team this year Mm -hmm. too, especially with the way Olivia miles played as a freshman. So besides Florida state, I don't really see there being any, you know, sleepers, not sleepers, but just snoozers. That's the word during the non-conference schedule. Actually, no, Iowa will be, I was about to get to that, but at least there's Caitlin Clark to entertain us while UConn's just obliterating them. Yeah. I was looking at it, I think, by, like, ESPN's, like, way too early, top 25, UConn would play, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six of the top 10 teams in their non-conference schedule, but, like, there's no way Iowa is going to be the number six team in the country, so. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, where is Iowa? Six. Six? Don't get me started. It's a topic for another podcast. I could probably go on an hour about how ridiculous that is. <laughs> we need to ask. Oh, crap. I was going to uh, bother a friend of the show, Alexa Phillip, who at ESPN, <laughs> but I believe she's doing a space on Twitter right now. Yes. So that may have to hold off. 
I was actually going to ask you first, where do you think Iowa starts in the top 25 poll? Because I think like they're absolutely going to be in there, whether or not they deserve it. And then what would you put the odds like percentage one through a hundred that they're still in the top 25 by the time they play UConn, assuming UConn's the first matchup, which if it's not, someone should get fired in Portland during PK 85. I mean, I think they'll still be in the top 25 because, like, they still have Clark and Sonano, which, like, I just, I'm generally not that high on a lot of teams for next year, so that's part of it. But, so I think they'll still be a top 25 team, but I think they'll be ranked in the top 10, like, for, like, the first couple weeks, and then they'll slowly plummet. But they won't move down as fast because of Kaelin Clark, so people will continue to overrate them. I think they'll be somewhere in, like, the 10 to 15 range when the polls come out, I think there's too many, I, I, I firmly believe there's too many smart people that have an AP vote that are gonna, <laughs> you know, but I'm saying this and then someone put Paige Beckers on their all American yeah. ballot last year. So maybe I'm giving them way too much credit. Yeah. I, I think they will be a top 10 team in the first poll. I would probably put money on that if you could bet on it. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be in the polls by the time UConn plays them though. I think it'll still be in the poll, but I guess like, you know, if you have two really good players in basketball that can carry you a long way, but when you have literally nothing else on that roster, that's worth anything. Watch someone on that roster is going to go off for like 27 against UConn and I'm going to look stupid. (laughs) Well, I mean, I might go off for 27, but like, no, someone else has to do something. So, (laughs) Well, someone not named Caitlin Clark or Monica (laughs) Sonano, I mean. Like here, let's uh, and like granted, making me look stupid is not a very high bar. That's pretty easy to do. <laughs> like, what's their roster? Or what's their her hoops? You know, no, we're just gonna read off some names on their roster and let's see if we've even heard of any of them. <laughs> okay, they've got a they've got some transfers, I think. They have someone from Marist. Uh someone from never mind. That is there's someone who's listed as a freshman, but they're from Washington. I think that was the name of their high school. <laughs> that, okay, I lied. They, that, they have one transfer. Yeah. They have three freshmen. I mean, McKenna Warnock is back. That was like their other solid player from this year. Addison O'Grady sounds like she's going to be a stud. I don't know anything about her. That's just an A-plus name. How is like the Paige Becker's Caitlin Clark class already juniors? I don't understand. It's not, it's not right. Yeah. It's really not right. I mean, it's just going to be such a crime if they do not make that the first game of PK 85 and threaten the potential. Like there's no way they're doing that, right? There's no way ESPN is leaving that money or whoever has the tournament. I don't actually. Yeah. I would have to imagine it has to be the first game because I think you're going to see UConn in the final, but I wouldn't leave it up to chance that you're going to see Iowa in the final. There's too much variability there. So. Right. And I think it's a Black Friday matchup, if I remember the schedule correctly. Yeah. So you have that game on, fr- on Black Friday. Everybody's home. Mm-hmm. So many people are going to be tuned in watching that game. Is that going to be the same if you put the game on, I think it's Sunday. I think it's Friday, okay, Sunday, not back-to-back. Well, at least it's not Saturday because then you're up against like too many major college football games. Yeah. Or even just Sunday, you're up against the NFL. Well, that's true. 
I don't think the NFL has any games on Friday unless their schedules change dramatically. And like, you're not playing on Thanksgiving either competing with football or just competing with people not watching sports on Thanksgiving. Again, someone deserves to be fired if this game is not the first one. Yeah, exactly. It has to be. But like, I don't think UConn's going to have any trouble winning it. Just like, they're not no. a top team in the country. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Even if, even if they were a top 15 team in the country, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that South Carolina might be the only ones that can realistically compete with them. I don't know. Maybe it's way too early to be saying something like that. I just think this year's UConn team is going to be really good. I don't think it's going to take the, you know, adjustment period that we saw at the start of last year. It feels like a team that's going to get off to a much quicker start than last year's did. I was not going to give them any trouble. I think UConn and South Carolina are very much going to be in their own tier. And then like Stanford's still going to be good, but UConn and South Carolina are going to kind of be in a league of their own if everyone's healthy on both of those teams. Yeah, I just... I mean, it depends how Stanford replaces the Hull twins, right? Those the Hull twins and Anna Wilson. Really those are their big losses. Anna Wilson. And they just like they never really figured out that point guard position last year. So they're still gonna have to figure that out. Right. I am interested to see Lauren Betts, the number one player in the country who's six foot seven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean their front court between that, Cameron Brink, Haley Jones, like that's going to be extremely exciting. Fran Believe, I just the guard is a big question mark old school just dominate the post and <laughs> yeah. figure it out in the backcourt honestly that will work against everyone Most not teams. named UConn in South Carolina so <laughs> yeah I am excited to see Cameron Brink as a junior if she can cut down on the fouls she can cut down on the turnovers she's really good when she's on the floor she's just not on the floor very often Exactly. That's a, that's a big thing for them. If she can be kind of take it to the next level, that will put Stanford, I think. I don't think quite in the tier with the UConn and South Carolina, but I think they'll have a pretty big a gap between them and the next team. I also just refuse to buy into this new era Tennessee team until they do literally anything. Yeah, they've done really well in the, the transfer portal, though, and they've gotten most of what they had last year back, other than Ray Burrell, who didn't really play a whole ton last season. It's probably addition by subtraction. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I think they're going to be pretty good. We'll, we'll see how it all comes together. But I mean, Kelly Harper is a really good coach. I, I expect this to be a pretty good Tennessee team. I just want to see them prove it. Yeah. Beat someone good. Yeah. They're going to have like, to prove it. But yeah. They should be good. Speaking of random SEC school additions did you see that Anna Makarot's sister is going to play for Shea Ralph at Vanderbilt yes I did a full double take on Anna's Instagram because I thought it was her because they look basically the same and I was like wait what but yes her sister is going to play for Shea Ralph doppelgangers I mean well like twins is probably the better you know (laughs) I would hope siblings look like each other a little bit (laughs) well the other confusing part is Anna Makarot Actually, no, now I'm really confused about. Yes, Anna Makarot. Wait, oh man, I'm really confused now. Yes, Anna Makarot. Her Twitter account or Instagram account is also, why am I not following Anna Makarot anymore? Yeah, hers is like a Makarot.13, and then her sister's is like a Makarot.24. They're very similar. (laughs) Right. Well, and Anna wore 24 at UConn. 
So that's that's where it confused me, but I'm also just very confused as to why I don't follow (laughs) Anna anymore. I'm rectifying that now, but I'm just very confused at myself. But anyways, yes, I'm very excited to see how that goes. I'm it made me think if Anna Makara or not if Anna Makara, if Shay Ralph left a year earlier. Would Anna Makarad have ended up with her in Vanderbilt or would she still have gone pro? It's probably an answer only Anna can, or it's <laughs> yeah. probably something only Anna can answer. But also some of these, ins- her recent Instagram posts, like don't look like her. <laughs> I'm very thrown off here. That looks like her. This is great. Because <laughs> you can definitely see what definitely I'm looking at. Stalk her on Instagram. <laughs> I just like the the numbers being different are really what threw me for a loop along with the fact that basically click on it and read it like three times to be like confirmed that it wasn't actually her that was playing for shay anyways very cool third rockerot sister to play in the u.s for college her older sister i want to say her older sister was olga this one's agata and anna was it olga makarat i think so that's on talking she played at was this somewhere Utah? In Utah? That was what I was gonna say, but I don't remember now. Yeah, she played for Utah. Ola, no Olga. Ola, I was close. I think started at Arkansas or went to Arkansas State, also was at Liberty at some point. I, I, this will be the last time I say this on any podcast, I promise. <laughs> but Anna Makara would be perfect for this team. <laughs> really would be. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of roster additions, we didn't get to talk to Gino today at his For the Kids golf tournament. He apparently was a little under the weather. Ayana Patterson and Leah Edwards were also sick, so we didn't get to talk to them. But we did speak with Gino about two weeks ago, and he said that there's a pretty good chance the 11 players you're going to have right now are going to be the ones that they go into next season with. He called in a remote chance that they add a walk on. I mean, he basically shot it down by saying it's just another person in the travel party that they have to pay for. So he didn't sound very gung ho about adding a walk on. And then with the transfer portal, he said, quote, I really haven't seen anybody that would significantly improve our program and quote at this point. And he also called, called that another remote possibility. So what do you think about the roster? Feels like they're still, not some glaring holes, but they definitely could have used another addition or two if the right fit was out there, but it's not free agency. It's not anything like that. You kind of got to work with what you have. Yeah, exactly. I think as long as everyone help is healthy, they're in good shape. I would have, would not have mind seeing them pick up another guard out of the transfer portal, but like you said, it has to be the right fit. And I don't know if that's the case for anyone that's kind of left in the portal at this point. I just think the tough thing with finding another guard is you have to find someone who's signing up to be the fifth guard on the depth chart. No, I'm sorry. The sixth guard on the depth chart, because that was the same thing that we brought up with before they added Lou Lopez Seneschal is you have to find someone who's willing to be the fifth guard on the depth chart and almost barring injury, no matter what happens, you're probably not moving any higher than that. Whoever you add at this point out of the transfer portal, who's a guard that really fits Gino's criteria of has either graduated after 
or has graduated from their former school and fulfilled their commitment or has a good reason for transferring, I think the odds of that are just so, so, so low. So it's a good group. It's a very high end group, but like you said, health is the one thing that's going to determine whether it's enough because last year five guards isn't nearly enough in any normal year. Five guards is perfectly enough. Yeah, exactly. So as long as they're healthy, I think they're fine. The one player like left in the portal, I thought maybe they would go after is the, the BYU um, guard that entered just like a couple weeks ago. She was like a late entry. Uh, Shaylee Gonzalez, she was a really good WCCC player of the year, but getting a player like that, that could probably play at a much shorter position in the depth chart than fifth. Yeah, like, is someone going to want to sign up for that? Probably not. So I don't think it's surprising to see that they're not adding anything else. Then the front court too, I think it sounded like there's one quote from Gino. I think it was in Hearst that he would have liked to add another veteran big because, you know, you can never have too many of them, but they're just so hard to find. I've been on record as saying, I don't want them to go after a big in the transfer portal, just because you've got Dorka who feels like she's going to have a really big year. You got Aaliyah and then you got to let the kids try and figure it out, whether it's ice Brady, who, you know, has just continues to show that she could be the next big thing. Ayana Patterson or Amari DeBerry. One of those three is going to emerge. I believe you can't block them on the depth chart. The more they play, the more experience they get, even if it looks ugly at the beginning of the year, it's going to not only help you down the stretch, but it's going to help you next year when you lose Dorka Juhas for good. It's going to help you the year after when Aliyah Edwards graduates, which feels crazy to say. You got to start building your front court of the future. And I don't feel like adding a short-term stopgap to be your third best big is really a good way to build your program and a good way to develop those younger players. So you got to give them a chance to play at some point. Now, the three of them are going to have plenty of opportunities to prove themselves and to get significant minutes because, you know, even the best players end up in foul trouble. Rebecca Lobo was in foul trouble during the 1995 championship game. So it happens. You're going to need those players eventually. And we're not talking about the 2019-20 season where it was Olivia Nelson Adota and Aubrey Griffin as your front court. No, one of those three, the odds are one of those three is going to be able to contribute. So again, injuries change the whole dynamic, but just speaking in a world where we ignore that, I feel pretty good that they didn't add in another big. Yeah, great. Like I said, again, if everyone's healthy, I think they've got what they need there as well. You've got two really solid options. Three players that can kind of, we'll probably rotate who's the third best in the depth chart throughout the season, but three players that you can develop in that, that role. So I feel like they're, as long as people stay healthy, which is obviously a big if, especially looking at last season, they're in a good spot roster wise. And if they do rotate through who that third player is, that's not a bad thing because that means all of them are showing that they can contribute at some point, which, you know, maybe it's better short term if ice brady just comes out and starts dominating and is suddenly the best big that you've had since nafisa collier but long term again long term it's better if all three of those players show that they can be contributors so it's going to be a really interesting front court i like the odds of at least both the freshmen contributing in some capacity 
And, you know, I think we just have to wait and see with Amari DeBerry. Gino hinted that she might be injured, said she sometimes she can go, sometimes she can't. We didn't get to ask him for a clarification today. I didn't get to talk to Amari DeBerry today. Still, the talent's very clearly there. There's a long offseason to get her there. And, you know, it seems like the, her head's in the right place. So it's going to be really interesting to see how three through five on the depth chart works out. and it's going to pan out one way or another. Agreed. To one of our favorite topics, one that we spent all of last season on, injuries. (laughs) As of last Thursday, Gino said that they basically have five and a half players. Those five and a half are Paige, Aliyah Edwards, Lou Lopez-Seneschal, Nika Mule, and Ayanna Patterson. Amari DeBerry is the half. Nika Mule (laughs) had a non-COVID, non-flu illness. Lou Lopez, Seneschal, and no, Aaliyah Edwards now has, Aaliyah Edwards and Ayanna Patterson both have an illness. Ayanna Patterson actually hurt her elbow too. And the way Gino phrased it is that a practice player's head was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So it didn't sound like anything too major. The surprising one that wasn't there is AZ FUD. And Gino said that it's just precautionary to make sure there's no lingering effects from her foot issues last year. To me, that was a major red flag when Gino talked about it. But speaking with AZ today, she just made it seem like the foot hasn't healed and she's just been dealing with it all this time. And now the way for it to heal is to just give it time and let it rest, which is not easy. And it just takes time, but it doesn't seem like it should be anything that's a long-term concern. It just, they have time now and they're taking it. So I'm way less concerned about that than I was probably a week ago. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I think also interesting that we probably actually haven't seen a healthy AC FUD yet at this point if she was dealing with that all through the end of last season. So it'll be interesting to see when she is. She can fully heal that, but where she's going to be. Which is really exciting to think about how good AZ was for large stretches of last season, that that might have only been her at, you know, whatever percent, not even her at 100%, which does kind of line up because there were a lot of times we were saying that you know she's shooting the lights out but all she's doing is shooting it could have been her foot was preventing her from getting in the lane more being more active you know away from the ball and things of those nature so you know talk about almost like you get another new addition to the team yeah I think you have to be more excited than concerned about that at this point knowing that we probably haven't seen anywhere near the full extent of what AZ Foot can do the other three shouldn't come as much as a surprise. Caroline Ducharme coming back from hip surgery. She's off crutches. Seems like she's, you know, making pretty good progress. Dorka Juhas working back from her wrist injury that she suffered in the NC State game in the Elite Eight. She said today that she's hoping that in maybe two weeks she'll get cleared by the doctor and then can just spend the rest of the summer strengthening that wrist. Then Aubrey Griffin said she's coming along. She's hoping that I think she said in just a few weeks that she can get back to full participation. So she sounded upbeat about her progress. We can only take their word for it. It's not like we're seeing them firsthand or have access to, you know, the medical records as it should be just to be clear, but all in all, it seems like the injuries are all progressing pretty well. If all of them are available for the start of preseason, I think that would be pretty much the perfect scenario 
Yeah, exactly. I think the, the faster everyone is healthy, the better that they'll be heading into the season. But overall, I don't feel like there's anything like concerning coming out of the updates, which is a good sign to be at, at this point. Yeah, the only concern was AZ, and I think she alleviated a lot of those concerns today. And as far as we know, there's no additional injuries that have happened either. It's not like last year when all of a sudden AZ picked up this foot injury or, you know, someone else turned their ankle and has missed some days. Obviously, you know, we might not have just found out about it because Gino wasn't there. But in theory, it doesn't seem like there's any additional additions to the to the injured list. So that's always progress after what we saw last season. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we will not spend all of next season talking about injuries. <laughs> so from the current team to former Huskies, the day has finally come. The day we have dreaded. The day that has continually been pushed back further than I think most reasonable people would have expected. The day that has started to feel inevitable but has not been confirmed. That day has come. Sue Bird announces that she will retire at the end of this WNBA season. 41 years old, a laundry list of accomplishments. Arguably the greatest point guard of all time. It's finally come. She's finally, well, not, she hasn't reached the end yet, but, you know, figuratively. Let me be dramatic for a little bit. (laughs) What are your thoughts on Sue Bird finally deciding to hang it up? I feel like it's not a surprise. Like the writing was definitely on the wall going into this season. I feel like there was a chance that last season was her last. So I think everyone kind of knew that it was coming, but I feel like it feels a little bit more real now that she's announced it. I caught her in person for hopefully not the last time, but definitely one of the last times last week when this the storm were in town on Friday. But yeah, it, it's definitely coming to an end. <laughs> Yeah, I was also at that game. And just as a sidebar, that was an unbelievably entertaining game. Such, such a fun game. I haven't been to a women's basketball game as a fan in like a really long time. And honestly, I don't think I really had a rooting interest. I was just like cheering for everything. I was like, great play. <laughs> I get to cheer. Yeah. This is fun. <laughs> well, I was like, it was the same way for me. It felt weird being at Mohegan Sun actually watching a game just as a fan. And I had a John Quill Jones jersey on just because I have one. But I found myself like the storm would score and I'd be like, oh, that was really nice. And I'd start clapping and I'd be like, wait, maybe I shouldn't be clapping when the storm score. But like I just start doing it subconsciously because it's like, oh, man, that was really nice. But my only complaint is an old man take. But like I don't love the music during the game. I feel like it's just like a professional basketball thing, though. Like the NBA does it, too. It is what it is. It is a little loud, though. I I prefer also not having it, but it is it is what it is <laughs> right it's you kind of tune it out at a certain point but i just yeah i hadn't been to a sun game in a couple years but i well obviously because of covid played a part in that but i really enjoyed it i thought it was a lot of fun i'm going to a couple more the rest of the year i don't know if i'll be around the next time sue bird comes in but i know i'm gonna be at one of the games where the mercury are in too so very excited to go back. Yeah, it's always a fun time. Anyways, back to the uh, topic <laughs> at hand. I was at her retirement press conference the next day at Mohegan Sun. And my biggest takeaway is that she just seemed very at peace with her decision and 
was happy to be going out on our own terms because so many, not even so many, most professional careers end because a player gets cut or they get hurt or no one wants to sign them anymore. And it's just retirement basically because that's the only option left, but she gets to go out on her own terms. Obviously it is cool that there's a lot of the season left and it's not necessarily a retirement tour, but there is that finality to it where you can watch knowing that it's coming to an end and appreciating it instead of having that uncertainty in the back of your mind that, you know, could she come back for that one more year? Could she like drag herself to Paris? Is that even possible? So I do, I do like just personally, I feel like it's more settling knowing that it's the end and having the chance to watch her the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. You kind of know when you're going to be watching her last game and stuff, I think it's, I don't know, makes it better in a way. So most people can plan and like get their tickets and stuff to see her one last time. Right. It's especially since she said the impetus for decide or for announcing that she was going to retire was so that New York could see her play one more time, her hometown, obviously she joked that, yeah, you know, Connecticut, I'm coming back here. So like no disrespect, but this is about New York, which <laughs> I think is more than fair. And yeah. we see Sue Bird in Connecticut all the time anyways. Exactly. So just assuming health is not a factor. Stewie's definitely carrying Sue Bird to a WNBA title to go out on, right? I feel like there's a good chance of that. I think like Seattle's at like fourth or so in the rankings right now, but they've been dealing with some various injuries. I mean, at the league, looking at the league right now, it feels like Vegas looks like the clear favorite, but like I just don't know how they're gonna win a title with absolutely no depth, and they have absolutely no depth. They're getting nothing from their bench. Just the dominance that Stewie's had, you know, Stewie Jewel Lloyd that combo mm-hmm. on top of having Sue Bird on your roster. You know, I just, I don't know. I just feel like that's going to happen. There's no way that she doesn't go out with a title. I think yeah. Diana goes out without a title, but I don't mm-hmm. think Sue Bird goes out without a title. And that's more just to do with the team that they have around them more than anything. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked to see Seattle win it all this year. It'll be, I think, interesting if you get, if they get to the finals and they're playing up to Vegas, but I think Vegas has the best, very clearly the best starting five, but you can't win a professional title with no depth. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, just to talk about Diana Taurasi for a second, Sue Bird, especially recently, has always seemed like she's got some interests outside of basketball or at least outside of playing that she's going to be more than fine figuring out what she wants to do. Now that she's done, Diana Taurasi, you know, I, I think about the Tom Brady quote from probably like 10 years ago now that I'm going to play until I suck. <laughs> that really feels like it's going to be what Diana does. She's just going to play until they literally tell her, no, go. You like, you can't do this anymore. You got to <laughs> stop. And even then she's still probably going to try. And I just don't know what is next for Diana Taurasi. I can see Sue Bird getting into a lot of things, but I don't know. For some reason, DT just feels like one of those players that's just going to play until there's nothing left. Yeah. I feel like what she said, 
2021 Olympics, like, see you in Paris, everyone thought it was a joke. And like, day by day, I'm like, this might actually be reality. Yes. Well, especially Sue Bird mentioned that Diana's sister texted her and said, oh, man, I was really excited to go into Paris with you or something. <laughs> so I, I don't know. From that, it doesn't seem like Diana's sister is planning on Diana not going. Yeah. <laughs> but it is just nice that Sue Bird will have her moment. Actually, you know, Sue Bird retiring, Sylvia Fowles retiring, two of the most legendary WNBA players, USA basketball players, women's basketball players hanging it up in the same year. Pretty remarkable and just nice that they both get this sort of farewell tour, even though Sue Bird has made it very clear that she does not want a farewell tour. Yeah. Which I think is part of why she waited to this point in the season to announce versus announcing like on, on day one of the season, like a lot of other people have, but yeah, it's still nice to see them get kind of get there, get recognized on their way out and get to go out on their own terms in both cases. Yeah. On that note, just like Sue Bird's career, we're going to start wrapping up this podcast. You know, I probably should have let off with this. We'll make a bigger announcement, but you know, I think, I think I have figured out how to put chasing perfection on its own feeds. So it's on Spotify. It is on Apple podcasts. I will put links to that in the description. If you're on Stitcher, if you're one of the freaks like me who uses Stitcher to listen to their podcasts, you know, please like email me either at the weekly or DM me on Twitter or get in touch with me somewhere. It's on my page on the Yukon blog and I will make an effort to get it on Stitcher. But if no one tells me that they actually listen on Stitcher, then, you know, I just won't put it up there, but we do. It does look like we have a page. This podcast is going to be the test episode. So we'll, we'll make more of an announcement at a later point, assuming it all goes through, but it looks like we finally got that done. It looks like I've finally gotten that done. That This has been a me thing for like four months <laughs> that I just haven't gotten around to it. So going to place the blame on myself because that's where it lies. But also proud of myself for finally getting it done. Big step. I'm not saying I'm a hero, but no. I'm <laughs> so, on that note, again, that was a joke. That'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan. Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show in the new spot. Tell a friend about the new spot. Tell all your friends about the new spot, actually, assuming it works. In that case, if it doesn't, don't tell them. Read the UConn blog. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Megan, what do you got to send us into our vacations? Happy summer. Happy 4th. We'll talk to you after our vacations. That'll do it.